What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with breath, the creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the Great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name.
Have you ever noticed that the bigger the event, the sooner the advertising begins? Before life went on pause with COVID, as you would travel up and down the escalators in Prague's metro stations, you would see posters for bands and events months in advance, sometimes more than a year. The greatest event in all of history was advertised 700 years in advance. The coming of Jesus Christ, of Emmanuel, God with us, was announced in the book of Isaiah 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. God revealed to his prophet Isaiah the character of his son and of the child who would be born of a virgin. During this Advent season, we're going to explore some face-to-face -face encounters with the Christ of Christmas as he is revealed in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. And here's how God announced 700 years in advance the world's greatest event, Christmas. Here's the prophecy of Jesus' character from Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. At Christmas, children sometimes make lists of the gifts they would like to receive. Well, God made a list of the most desired gifts, the gifts that would speak most deeply into every human heart. And that list of gifts is found in the names he uses to describe his son here in Isaiah chapter 9. He tells us about what he is like, and how his character meets our deepest needs. These are the names of the gifts of Jesus that he came to give us. Salvation is the delivery mechanism that brings us those gifts. But God himself is the true present, the true treasure. So what I hope is that this Christmas, this Advent season, you will discover the gifts of Jesus Christ as, to, as revealed in his name and make them a part of your life. that You'll come to know him more and more intimately. Well, let's think about how he's described here in Isaiah 9. The first word that's used is wonderful counselor. And those two parts go together. Wonderful because Jesus brings joy in the weariness of life. Counselor because Jesus is our hope in the questions of life. You see, hope and joy are connected together. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Have you experienced him in that way in your life? The one who guides you, directs you, who gives you hope and, and produces wonder in your life to fill it with joy. Secondly, he's called mighty God. That means that Jesus is strength for the impossibilities of life. We're going to look at this one more closely next week. But, boy, we need strength, especially right now. Thirdly, he's revealed as everlasting father. 
He's revealed for us to understand that Jesus is love for the relationships of life. Love comes from him and it permeates every other relationship that we have. And fourthly, he's revealed as the Prince of Peace. He's the one who is with us throughout the problems, trials, and difficulties of life. Have you experienced Jesus in that way? Would those names that he's revealed to us in Scripture, would that describe your connection, your love relationship, your faith in Jesus? Is he wonderful counselor to you? Is he the joy in the weariness and brokenness of your life? As counselor, is he the one that's guiding and directing your life, filling you with hope in the midst of your questions? Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to focus in on Jesus as our wonderful counselor for the first week of Advent. And so I want to encourage you in your home to read this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and allow the truth of what God is saying to to sink deep into your heart and to penetrate your mind. If you have an Advent wreath or just some candles, I want to encourage you to light that first candle in remembrance that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is wonderful because he is the one who brings us joy in each and every circumstance that we face. He also is our hope. He is the counselor that guides us through the questions of life. During this season of restrictions and social separation, many people are discouraged. They're discovering that many of the things that they thought brought life meaning are falling short. In the discouragement and the emptiness, many have lost their sense of wonder and joy. They're weary. Perhaps a good picture is what it looks like here today in Prague. The city of Prague is covered in a blanket of fog. It's cloudy. Does that describe your life right now? Where you feel like you've lost your sense of direction, your sense of purpose? Well, I have good news for you. The verses that we read in Isaiah chapter 9, if we back up just a couple verses, it describes who those verses are for. Let me show them to you. Let's look here at Isaiah chapter 9 and see what God wants to speak to us specifically. He says this in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Have you lost your sense of wonder? Do you feel as if you're surrounded by darkness? Do you feel lost? Do you not know where to turn? Let me encourage you to turn to the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. He is the one who can restore your joy, your sense of wonder, even in uncertainty. And he's the one who can guide your life and give you hope. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to both look here in the Old Testament as we've done, and then we're going to fast forward 700 years to the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. When, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and announces that she is going to bear a child, a child of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible, incredible encounter. But what we discover as we look at Mary and specifically at her response 
we see a glimpse of how we are to respond to God as the wonderful counselor. So let's go to the scriptures now in Luke chapter 1 and see the story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We have much to learn from this encounter that's recorded here in Luke chapter 1. First of all, God sent his messenger to the last place anyone would have expected. You see, God often chooses an unexpected place to go. In verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. If we were making a big announcement, the biggest announcement in history, we would have chosen a big city with lots of people to tell, where the news would have spread in in the case of, the, uh, of Israel, we would have went to Jerusalem to make an announcement. But God shows us he is everywhere and that no location is out of his heart and out of his reach. Nazareth was nowhere. Think of a town or a place that, that you've been to, which perhaps seemed to be, well, honestly, boring. Uh, the last place you would expect anything interesting or exciting to happen. Becky and I were born in the state of Indiana in the United States. Indiana is filled with wonderful people. But to be honest, as a location, it's pretty boring. 
Growing up in the northern part of the state where we are from, it was simply known for corn, cows, and basketball, and not a lot else. I often chuckle at some of the tourism mottos that they came up with for the state of Indiana. One of them that used to be on the license plate was Wander Indiana, which was an interesting phrase. It was as if there really isn't anything specific to see, but keep roaming around for a while and maybe you'll be surprised. Or my favorite one was Indiana, the crossroads of America. That motto is true. It's, it's somewhat in the middle of the country. And it's also based on the imagery of the Indianapolis 500 racing event, which is one of the things that the state of Indiana is known for. But the Crossroads of America kind of says, when you reach Indiana, keep going, keep on driving. You can pick any direction and eventually you'll reach something more interesting in another state. My deep apologies to my family and friends in Indiana, but you know it's true. Nazareth was kind of like that. Nazareth in the first century was just a crossroad town of no significance. Nothing big had happened there. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament or even in the commentaries and writings uh, of the Jewish writings. It's not until... um, the scriptures here in the New Testament that we really discover anything about Nazareth. What is worse, though, is that Nazareth, around the time of the birth of Jesus, had established a rather poor reputation in morals and even in its religious practice, its faith. This is why we read of Nathanael, the disciple of Jesus, asking the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He asked that question in John chapter 1, verses 47, and when he's trying to, to understand the announcement that Jesus, the Messiah, has come from Nazareth. Evidence of the spiritual condition of Nazareth is found in the people's treatment of Jesus during his ministry. The Bible says that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. But it goes on to say that after Jesus finished teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath day and reading from the book of Isaiah, the people had spoken well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his lips. But then, it says later on, they began to question, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? And those questions became a conflict because after Jesus had spoken to them, They drove him out of town. They took him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built and they were attempting to throw him over the cliff. Jesus himself said that it was because of their lack of belief that he could not do many miracles in Nazareth, according to Matthew 13, verse 58. The location reminds us that God is everywhere. Even on the last place we would expect, he has a message for the people, a message of great news. Secondly, not only did God choose an unlikely location, he chose an unexpected person to go to. Luke chapter 1 verse 27, it says that Gabriel was to go to a virgin betrothed of a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, 
and the virgin's name was Mary. Now in the eyes of the world, Mary was nobody. She was a teenage girl with likely little education in a town that no one thought well of. No one would have expected anything great of Mary. No one except for God. Because you see, God saw something much different. He saw Mary's heart. He saw a beauty and a strength in Mary that brought him great pleasure. First of all, we discover that Mary is faithful. Twice in verse 27, it mentions that she is a virgin, that she has kept herself pure. God chose a pure vessel to bring his son into the world. It was in fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. Also, it's a reflection of his character. And it's a reflection of the heart of Mary. She wanted to be faithful to the Lord and led her faithful to her husband. Secondly, what we see is that Mary listened and sought to understand. This is so important. Look, listen to what it says in verse 28 and 29. And then he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary is surprised, not just that an angel would visit her, but that he would say that she was favored and and that the Lord was with her. That's a message all of us need to hear. Because the truth is, whereas God had a specific design and call on Mary's life, you too are favored by him. He wants to be with you. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, he gives his Holy Spirit to live within you, to be with you forever. You're just as special, just as precious to his heart as Mary. What we need to do, though, is follow Mary's example. Mary listened to the message of God and tried to understand. When she heard that God had a plan for her life and that it was truly something miraculous, look what it says. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary had a unique role, one that no one else has. But it's also important to remember that God chose to include her in his plan. And that applies to each and every one of us who trusts him as well. Notice how Mary responds. She has questions about the mechanism of how this can be. She she knows she's a virgin. She knows she's never had sexual relations. She does not doubt the message. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. God does impossible things. But what is more amazing is that he chooses to include us, ordinary people, people from the middle of nowhere, people that maybe no one else would expected to do anything. He chooses ordinary people, people like Mary, to be a part of his plan and his purpose. Mary would have known and believed how God had enabled Sarah to conceive and have a child in her old age with Abraham. And now God sends a sign that her cousin Elizabeth is expecting in her old age as well. She recognizes that it's a miracle. And if that's true, then that the message that's been shared with her from the angel will be true as well. As Mary listens, God affirms that what he is saying really is true and that he does impossible things. Mary continually pondered God's word in her heart. In fact, one of the things that we see repeated over and over again in in the scriptures that record Mary is it says that she treasured these things in her heart. The things that she heard spoken of about Jesus especially, even the hard things, the trials that she would face, she treasured them in her heart. She listened to God's word and put it deep inside of her. How about you? Do you treasure God's word? He so much desires for you to understand and experience his presence, to read his word and discover what he is doing, who he is, what he is like, and how he wants you to be connected to his plan and his purpose. But we have to choose to be like Mary, to meditate on his word, to listen to it, and then to believe it. Now look how Mary responds. Mary humbled herself. She believed God's words and chose to obey. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. In truth, the hearts and minds of the humble are focused on others and not on themselves. The humility of Mary should be an example for every one of us who desires to follow Jesus. Look what she said in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? Mary says yes. She says yes to God's plan for her life. Now understand, this was not going to be easy. Even at her age, she would have understood the shame she was going to face. She was going to likely be rejected by her family members and by the community. Everyone else would believe that she had been unfaithful. When she became pregnant, the rumors would begin to flow. She would have been treated as an outcast, even though she was completely innocent. And yet Mary says first, I am the Lord's servant. She chose to make honoring the Lord her identity and her life purpose. Secondly, she says, yes, Lord, your will be done. 
Let it be to me according to your word. Obedience is the evidence of faith. It means we choose to live as if what God says is true. When you choose to obey the Lord, you're saying, Lord, you really are God. You really are in charge. And I'm going to live according to what you have said. Mary was going to face a lifetime of whispers, of ridicule. She would hear people talking behind her back. She would also face incredible grief. She would see her son, whom she knew was truly God's son, suffering and die. She would see him also do miracles. And she would hear and see the wonderful things that he would do. And she treasured them all in her heart. Mary could have chosen an easier road but she would have missed out on all of the blessings. She could have said no. She could have chosen to, de- to deny the Lord. Instead, Mary chose to deny herself and to trust fully in the Lord, in his plan and his purpose and chose to obey. And that's the key. Here's the truth. You will either choose to die to self or you will likely eventually see your relationships and your dreams die from being self-absorbed. The pleasures of self will never ever satisfy our souls. They can never become the treasures of our heart. Jesus calls his followers to die to self so that they can really live and enjoy the wonder of a life united with him. Mary was the first person to encounter Jesus as God, the Wonderful Counselor. His plan and purpose for her life was incredibly good. It would include pain and trials, but also it would fill her heart in a way that nothing else possibly could. The treasures of eternity would be stored up in her heart through her relationship with Jesus. Mary chose to deny herself and to trust in God, the wonderful counselor. God's plan for your life is different. His plan for you, though, is both intricately woven together with the lives of others, and it is intensely personal. He made you, you, not someone else. But our response to God needs to be the same as Mary. God calls us to humble ourselves, to listen and to believe his word, to trust his plan for us, and to choose to obey. As we do, we will encounter Jesus as the wonderful counselor who will walk with us every step of the way. He is wonderful. He is joy for the weariness of life. He is our counselor, the one who guides us and shows us how to follow him step by step, day by day. He provides hope in the questions of life. Jesus is our mighty God. He is strength for the impossibilities of life. Jesus also is the everlasting Father. He came to show us who the Father is and what he was like. He is love for all our relationships in life. And finally, When we know Jesus, when we choose to follow him, when we choose to listen to his word, 
we discover that he is the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace in the midst of the problems of life. Jesus meets our every desire and need because he knows what is best. He gave all of himself for you and for me. And so I want to conclude with what you can give the Lord this Christmas. God gave all that he is to us. If you really want to discover him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, you need to give yourself to him. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done, his death, burial, and resurrection. But not only that, not just trusting that for salvation, but choosing to listen to his word, to seek to live in alignment with his will and his purpose and to obey him. We are to give ourselves to him, not just at Christmas, but all the time. But let me suggest that this Christmas, you be intentional about giving yourself to the Lord in a fresh way. One of my favorite prayers is simply, Lord, I want to bring joy to your heart and a smile to your face. Enable me to live for you today. In essence, that is exactly what Mary did when she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So I've taken that idea of bringing joy to the Lord's heart and a smile to his face, and I want to give you a little tool to help you give yourself afresh to the Lord. I want to use the word smile in an intentional way to help us grow closer to the Lord. So the S of smile is to be still. The Bible says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Stillness is difficult. Even in a time of lockdown, it's hard not to constantly be on our phone, constantly checking things. But if we want to overcome the anxiety of life, and if we want to, even more importantly, to know God, we have to be still. Stillness is a choice to stop and focus on who God really is, to listen to what he says, to understand and to know his promises. And his promise is that if we choose to be still, if we choose to stop the distractions, we will know that he is God. Will you choose to set aside time each day and be still to have an encounter with Jesus personally. Let me challenge you to make time each day between now and Christmas to be still, to simply be in the Lord's presence, to ask him to speak to you, to ask him to guide you, to ask him to show you how he is the wonderful counselor of your life. Secondly, the M of smile is to meditate on his word. This is what Mary shows us so beautifully. She listens to God's message and then she sought to understand and to know how to live it. She had questions and she wrestled with them and she asked for clarification and for understanding. But she treasured all those things also in her heart. Will you choose to, along with being still, Make time to meditate on some verses of Scripture each day between now and Christmas. 
if you need help kind of finding a place to start and and I'd be happy to give you some tools that can begin to get you on your way. But what's most important is that you spend some time in God's word and and, and listen to what it says. Take it with you. Maybe write down some notes of a, a few things that it's saying and, and carry it with you today and think about it all through the day. I believe if you will choose to meditate on God's word as a gift to him this Christmas and to choose to be still in his presence, you'll find yourself growing closer and closer to the Lord. You'll have an encounter with Jesus Christ as the wonderful counselor in a way you never expected or experienced before. Now, next week, I'll give you more on uh, what the smile means uh, as a gift that we can give back to the Lord. But this is enough to get started, to be still, to know that He is God, to set aside the circumstances and the distractions, and simply be in His presence, and to meditate on His Word, and allow His Word to speak to you, to change you, to direct you, and to help you have an encounter with the wonderful counselor.